All right, I want to um, introduce our next speaker for the second session. Uh, Gaylord Inns is a very good friend of mine. Um, we met um, through a friend of ours, Dicep Han, who um, heard me preaching part of Gaylord's message and uh, <laughs> in 2010 and said, you know, you guys need to connect. And um, sure enough, um, it has been just an incredible privilege to work with this man who's a true father in the faith. Um, his book, Love Revolution, really helped to crystallize and clarify a lot of things that I was seeing in the scripture. And so I'm really grateful to him for that. And um, anyway, without further ado, um, Gaylord ends. We always like to start with Gaylord's message because we feel like it sets the table for what God wants to do during these 10 days like nothing else. So Gaylord, over to you. Hi, Jonathan. Um, it's great to see you. And um, am I coming through okay? You're hearing me all right? Loud and clear. You sound great. Great. It's so good to be with you again. And uh, this is such a strategic season as we're coming up to Pentecost because we've celebrated uh, the week of passion, uh, our Lord's uh, death, crucifixion, uh, his resurrection, and, and then we're moving into these 50 days now that culminate with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the historic day of Pentecost. And we have been living in that amazing season. But I think today um, I, I do want to share about the absolute, I, I've been gripped with a passion for the commandment that Jesus gave us. And uh, uh, sadly, I would have to say that I, I was in full-time ministry for about a little over 30 years before I saw this commandment clearly. I had read it many times. I had even uh, spoken out of it, but I did not see clearly that Jesus had given us a commandment and that it was core to defining who we are as his body, his church, his disciples. And I feel like it's so significant as we move toward that unity for which he prayed. It's absolutely a key. And I've seen that demonstrated now over the last 18 years uh, as I've been working and emphasizing that in different uh, places around the world, including right where I live. Uh, but I think, you know, we have to go back, I think, into the law and the prophets to really build a foundation for this. Uh, it was God speaking uh, through Jeremiah. And, uh, and he said something that uh, caught my attention, but I, I didn't look at it clearly for many years. But it's in Jeremiah 31, 31, where he says, the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And he goes on to say, it will not be like the covenant I made when I took them out of Egypt. And so we clearly recognize that as the Sinai covenant that God gave through Moses and the 10 commandments that he gave him. Those 10 commandments were taken and placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. And, um, but, but then, and we see also uh, Ezekiel beginning to prophesy a contemporary of Jeremiah's. And he begins to speak for the Lord. And we see a whole series of I wills, I will, I will. God speaking and using that repeatedly. Where at the Sinai covenant, he had said, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. 
uh, we actually see it 10 times in Ezekiel uh, 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 or in, uh, uh, in Exodus chapter 20. It's, it, the emphasis was, and we shall not. But when you see Jeremiah and Ezekiel beginning to prophesy, they use this phrase as God speaks to them. And he, and he says, I will, I will, I will, I will. And it sets the stage for this new covenant. But then there is 600 years of silence when we don't hear the word new covenant spoken again. And so it leaves us with this incredible promise, uh, with incredible blessings attached to it when you look at the fine print that follow Jeremiah 31, 31. And you just see that this is an incredible breakthrough for Israel, and it uh, will ultimately be an incredible breakthrough for the entire globe, as was promised uh, to Jeremiah, it'll be a blessing for all the nations. And that's what allows me as a Gentile to participate in this, uh, even in this day. But it's, um, it was so interesting that I, when I, I saw it was a specific day, May 1st, uh, 2002, I was recovering from a season of burnout and breakdown. I had not been able to read books or watch programs or um, uh, uh, just, uh, I was in a deep state of brokenness, but six months into my recovery, I opened my Bible, and I remember saying, I'm ready to study the Bible, and that day, I saw Jesus' commandment in one sense for the first time, and um, so what I'm going to do is just say, what we, we go in scripture to Luke chapter 22, and it says, um, about Jesus on, on the night that he was betrayed, this was at the Last Supper, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, you remember, he said, and this is my body, which is broken for you. And this incredible moment that is leading up to his crucifixion and that he will fulfill the words, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And after supper, he takes the cup and Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And that uh, is the first time in 600 years scripturally, we have seen that word new covenant, which has been promised by God uh, as recorded in the, the prophets, uh, particularly in Jeremiah. And so uh, this is an incredibly significant moment, but what I had missed is that on that same night, Jesus introduces a new commandment. And he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people are gonna know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And Jonathan, I just have to tell you, I had never seen clearly that Jesus announced the new covenant and a new commandment on the same night. And that to me was just an astonishing change and uh, one that um, has really changed my life because I understood that new covenant and new commandment were intended to be inextricably linked together for all of Christian history. That the Lord had never intended for those two to be separated that every new believer should understand when they entered into this incredible provision of this new covenant, that it came with a new commandment. 
And as clearly as the Ten Commandments written on stone were put into the Ark of the Covenant, so this new commandment that Jesus gave us was to be put into the heart of every believer who stepped into that covenant. And we were to really understand uh, how this became a, a definition of who we were and how the world would see us and identify us as authentic followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, of Yeshua HaMashiach. And so uh, that night he goes on to repeat in John chapter 15, verse 12, he says, this is my command. He owns it as my command. Love each other as I have loved you. And I think it's significant. He says it again in John 15, 17. This is my command. Love each other. And it's so important to recognize that this is not just the kind of love that we could have for one another in the natural, but it's loving each other as he has loved us. And I think for the disciples, that, that had very personal meaning for each of them. I, I've got to confess something to you, Jonathan, that when I first saw this, uh, I was excited. I, I knew that day my life would never be the same. And uh, I, and that's absolutely been true. It was transformational in my personal life to see his commandment and actually embrace it as his command. But then um, I, it really began what for me became a seven month wrestling match because I had always taught my congregation that Jesus' commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength and love your neighbors yourself. And I, I began to get confused and say, wait a minute, Lord, I've known what your commandment is for years, but now I'm seeing that you said, this is your commandment to love one another as you have loved us. And so it really took me back to processing, but because clearly Jesus had spoken those words. And we see them clearly in Matthew 22 and in, in the book of Mark. Uh, and as I looked at them again, I saw something that I had never understood before. Jesus was responding to the Pharisees and Sadducees uh, who were asking him trick questions. First, the Pharisees asked the question about paying taxes. And then the Sadducees, who don't believe in a resurrection of the dead, asked him a question about the woman who had seven husbands, seven brothers. And then a, a third one tested him with a question. This man was an expert in the law and he tested Jesus. And he said, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And you have to realize that Jesus was born under the law. Uh, he actually came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And uh, it, it was in the, up till this moment that the law and the prophets had been proclaimed uh, and John the Baptist had prepared the way for the Lord. But now uh, Jesus is being asked a question about the law. What is the greatest commandment in the law? And he answers that question uh, very clearly uh, in two parts. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
Uh, and he said, and the second commandment is uh, like it, homoios in the Greek, which means, we get the word homogenize, which means inseparable from it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, and then Leviticus chapter 19. And he combines these. And then Jesus says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And it really is a summation of what God had given them through the law and prophets and specifically through the Sinai covenant. Um, and it's interesting that Jesus, what I first realized it is he had never turned to his disciples after he answered that question and said, incidentally, this is my commandment. This is how I want you to define Christianity going forward. Uh, and yet, uh, for me, it had obscured what Jesus actually, when he introduced the new covenant in his blood, owned as my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. And this sets a whole uh, another standard for us. And I think uh, one of the things that helped me understand it was that uh, the Sinai covenant focused primarily on our finite ability to love God. When you look at the words, um, and I, I might just ask you to join me, just take a fist and put it on your chest and then say those words with me. Um, and, and, and every time you say the word you, your, or yourself, just tap yourself on the chest. It would be, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What it does is it puts us in the middle of that picture, us loving God with all of our ability and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. But the interesting thing about it, it's finite. It is our finite ability to love God, uh, our finite ability to love our neighbor as ourselves. And it puts us kind of in the center of the picture. But it's interesting with the introduction of Jesus and particularly his new covenant, there's an incredible shift that takes place. And it is uh, introduced uh, when it, it's not a change in God, but it's a change in emphasis, focus, uh, or direction. And that is that the focus in the new covenant will not be our finite ability to love God, but God's infinite ability to love us. And through us to love others as we had never been able to love them before. And there are so many verses, starting with John 3.16 and ending with Revelation 3.19, that speak to us uh, dozens of verses throughout the New Testament, the New Covenant writings, that tell us plainly uh, how significant this change is. For example, one of the verses in that list would be 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 where he says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Well, this is an incredible shift of focus, as you can imagine. The, the high watermark of love 
would no longer be measured by my finite ability to love God and others, but it would now be measured by God's infinite ability to love me, to love us. And he, he demonstrates this so clearly by sending his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And through that love, he begins to empower us uh, to love one another as he has never loved us, as we have never been loved before, and as we could never love without this. Uh, I think with Pentecost coming up in a matter of days, it's really significant to see Romans 5.5 5 in the light of Pentecost, because Jesus has promised that he, uh, that there will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, in John chapter 7, uh, the great day of the feast. He said, as anyone thirsty, let him come to me. Um, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke of the spirit that those that believed on him were later to receive. And Romans 5, 5 uh, amplifies that when it says, God has poured out his spirit into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. And this is why it was absolutely critical that the disciples not leave Jerusalem after the resurrection, but wait until uh, the 50 days had been completed and the Holy Spirit was poured out because this would empower us to live the commandment that Jesus gave us. Love one another as I have loved you. Uh, we must have the Holy Spirit's uh, outpouring. Then to go back to 1 John 4.10, uh, I'll read it again and add verse 11 with it. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The next verse reads like this, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another, love one another. This is so compatible with the commandment, obviously, that he gave us. And it really made it so clear. I mean, for me, honestly, if I were saying that before I saw Jesus' commandment, I would say, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love him. But what we have to realize with the birth of his son and with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God is saying, I want to get the love of heaven down to earth. I want to see it begin to spread wherever the message of the gospel goes. I want my people to become that river of living water out of which the Holy Spirit flows and the love of heaven carrying in that stream of love all of the gifts and graces that heaven has to give. So he says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And this has gripped my heart, and I believe it, it not only empowers us to love one another in the body of Christ, but to love our neighbors uh, as Jesus defined it when, um, when he, he told the story about the Good Samaritan and uh, redefined what it meant to be a neighbor. It goes beyond your covenant community. It goes into people that you wouldn't necessarily uh, uh, associate as part of being part of the covenant community. 
And then Jesus, through his, uh, his uh, introductory discourse, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've heard it says, love your, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I'm telling you, love your enemies. It's only the Holy Spirit that can empower us through the Holy Spirit to love even those people that have made themselves our enemies. So I just feel like this is so critical for us as a, a people that we allow that streams of living waters. It says in John 7, 38 and 39, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believe in him were later to receive. So we, as we come into celebrating Pentecost once again, uh, I believe it's so significant that we welcome the Holy Spirit to fill us with the love of heaven and literally allow the streams, the rivers of that love to flow out of us as never before. It's important to recognize how Jesus had loved us, not just what he did to love us, but how did he do what he did? And he, he tells us what that is in John 15, 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, that's how I've loved you. And then he says in John 13, 34, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And when John writes his uh, epistle, uh, he says this, we love because he first loved us. And so heaven really becomes uh, the resource for what we are doing in fulfilling the command that Jesus gave us. And that takes us, I think, Jonathan, to what you have carried for all these years, John 17, and particularly uh, verse 23 and verse 24 where he says, as he prays to the Father, Jesus prays, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Just let's say that together, uh, even though we're all muted. You sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That same love, friends, that the Father had for the Son is the love that we are able to experience. And Jesus goes on to give us a peek into heaven when he says, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you understand the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in loving unity as one uh, in that heavenly realm. And he goes on in, uh, in his prayer in John 17, 26, to, uh, to say to the Father, I've made you known to them, and I'm going to continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Oh, Jonathan, I, um, I appreciate your emphasis that the prayer that Jesus prayed, he gets what he prays for. And uh, he is 
he is making the father known to us so that the love that the father had for the son that same love can be in us and in fact he can begin to live in us so to me this is the shift that the long promised new covenant has brought to us and my prayer is that where the new covenant and new commandment were separated early in church history that in this day this strategic moment in time that is going to be brought back together again and the church will again put that new commandment inside the new covenant and never let it be separated and that we will know that this is an incredible mark of authenticity um, that um, he has given to us as a display of what heaven is like to this world. I, I believe it matters deeply um, that we actually fulfill the greatest commandment in the law by living in the one commandment Jesus gave us to love one another. And uh, as you know, historically, uh, throughout uh, scriptural history and the law and the prophets and continuing into the gospel and this new covenant that he's given us, you really see that the way we express our love for God is by keeping his commandments. And so that's why it's so, so important that as he has loved us, we love one another because it is his commandment. So that really, uh, Jonathan, becomes the message that I'm gripped with. I believe it matters deeply. Um, I honestly, the day I saw this, uh, May 1st, 2002, I thought I was the only person that missed it. I thought all my friends know this. It's so simple, so clear. I'm the only one that's missed it. And um, I began to do research that day. And before the day was over, I realized that this commandment had been pushed off the table very early in Christian history. And when I began to look through uh, the, uh, just uh, historically began to look at the confessions of faith that we had amazingly uh, there was no mention of Jesus' commandment in our major historic confessions of faith. Even in the Reformation, there was not a recovery of Jesus' commandment in large part. I, I would encourage you, I, I would love for each of you to be able to get a copy of Love Revolution. It's available uh, on Amazon. Uh, it's an ebook or uh, as a paperback. I would encourage you to read it. It was five years of research and writing, and um, it it I'm passionately gripped with at this strategic time. We need to get his commandment. Um, we live under that new covenant, but I estimate that ninety percent of the Western churches make no mention of Jesus' commandment in their statements of faith and practice. And I, I want to see that commandment fully recovered. So thank you, Jonathan, for the opportunity to share uh, this commandment. It, it is so significant. Um, I think of Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 1, where it says, 
um, as uh, as dearly, it, it talks about us being imitators of God. He says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There is a fragrance that comes off of us loving one another. And that fragrance came off of our Lord Jesus as he loved us so deeply. So I... Uh, I would encourage us to really allow the Father to reveal himself to us, uh, not just as the God who's the creator of heaven and earth, which he is, but as our Father who loves us deeply. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate the opportunity to share Jesus' commandment.